God, we thank you and praise you for the day. God, I do pray that you would be honored and glorified, that we would be reminded that you are the one that we worship, you and you alone, Lord. There is no other God beside you, Lord, for all uh, our false gods other than the one true God, Jehovah. And it is a joy, it's an honor and a privilege to worship you and adore you, to set our hearts and our affections toward you, Lord. And I pray that we would learn from these chapters what you would have us to learn, Lord. I pray that you would equip your saints tonight um, because I know that like the Israelites that we're studying, there's, there's times in our lives that are full of fear, full of doubt, full of question, Lord. You have the answer in the word tonight. We thank you for that. Help us to hear what you would say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, uh, as we head into chapter 36, the, the, the book kind of takes a turn for a few chapters. 36, 37, 38, 39 are what's known as a historical interlude. It, it kind of steps out of the prophetic, which is where we've been since really the beginning of the book. Uh, God speaking to the nation of Judah, God speaking to the nation surrounding Judah as, in, as to the impending judgment. As we step into chapter 36, now we get the result of that prophecy. We see the judgment come against, in specific, what we're going to look at tonight, the nation of Assyria. Uh, and so uh, uh, it's something that we've talked about a few times, but this is uh, the historical account in Isaiah. What's interesting about this is, well, I think it's interesting, is that the same story can be found in 2 Kings. What's also interesting is the same story, almost word for word, can be found in 2 Chronicles. So three times in our canon, in, the, in our Bible, is this story of Assyria falling. What's that say to you? God found it important enough to write it three times. It's probably important enough that we learn something from it. And, uh, and what we can learn is how God will uh, ultimately be victorious and what he says you can bank on, you can trust. And so, uh, so this must be important as we look at it tonight. So Isaiah chapter 36, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass... In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, that doesn't mean that he was 14 years old, that means he was in his 14th year of his reign, that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. This is, um, as we look at chapters 36 and 37, this is a tale of two kings. And if you keep that in the forefront of your mind, it will help you understand, uh, I believe, what, the, uh, what God is driving at tonight. We have King Hezekiah. He's the king of Judah. Judah is the good guys. They're, they're the ones we're rooting for in this story. King Hezekiah was a good king. He made some mistakes near the end of his life. But king, so King Hezekiah on the one side and King Sennacherib of Assyria on the other side. Assyria was the, the, the people that was coming against the nation of Judah. They're the bad guys, and we're rooting against them uh, in this case. And so, just so you know where your alliances lie, allies lie, alliance, never mind. Um, so, tale of two kings. Now, what's interesting about verse 1, uh, according to Assyrian history, history, Assyrian record, if you would, they took note that as they moved into the nation of Judah, that they took 46 cities. So all the while, the people in Jerusalem are hearing about this massive army moving toward their city. They're watching their brothers and sisters fall to the tune of 46 fortified cities falling to Assyria. I don't know about you, but it, that if I were holed up in Jerusalem, that would be pretty intense to know that, you know, there, there hasn't been a roadblock thus far. There hasn't been an issue thus far with any of my brothers or sisters in the nation of Judah. So yes, I've heard the promise of God that he's going to preserve the city, but it sure doesn't look like it because everybody else is going down and not just Judah, but all of Israel had fallen to the north as well. Egypt has, has fallen. Uh, you know, the nations surrounding Judah were going down all under this Assyrian empire that was crushing everybody. So, understandably so, the people of Jerusalem were afraid at this point. 
Verse 2 says, Then the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem, and he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the Fuller's Field. So everybody knows where that is, right? We're all good? Uh, on the Fuller's Field, upper pool, right there on the right. Got it? <laughs> no. The point being, and if you, if you were to study the land and the area, the, he, was, he was at an elevated position in the upper pool uh, so that people could look over the wall of Jerusalem and see this massive army coming down on them. He was, it was an intimidation factor, where, just where he was positioned, this guy named Rabshakeh. How big was the army that was sent uh, from Lachish? That's where Lachish was where King Sennacherib was, was taking Lachish, and he said, you know what, we've got enough people here, let's send some people down to Jerusalem. Let's send, anybody know how big the army was? At least 185,000, more than 185,000, most likely. Why? Because we know that 185,000 are going to fall by the angel of the Lord. And so this is 185,000 people. That's two, almost two full Ohio State stadiums full of armed men of war sitting outside your city. You nervous yet? Every Every other one of your brothers has fallen. Every other city has gone down. They're all in slavery now. And this 185,000 man-of-war army is sitting outside your door. The name Rabshakeh is not a surname. It's not somebody's, not like Mark or Matt or whatever. It's a title. The name Rabshakeh means governor. I think that's probably the best way to translate it. And essentially, this man was Sennacherib's chief of staff. He was given the authority to go speak on behalf of the king. So verse 3, And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to meet them. So they, as the, they arrive on the scene, a political garrison goes out to meet, hopefully to try to make peace before a siege happens, before war happens. Then the, then the Rabshakeh said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in which you trust? Notice what it says there in verse 4, as Rabshakeh begins to speak. He does not address King Hezekiah, he just calls him Hezekiah. That's an insult. The guy's like, I'm not even going to bother calling you king because you're going down anyway. And so in in the very first sentence that he's speaking, He's spitting an insult. The great king, the king of Assyria, says to Hezekiah, not even King Hezekiah. Now, in verses 4 to 15, the word trust is going to be mentioned seven times. And he really wants to cause the people to question their trust. And this is a good lesson for you and I, because the enemy always wants us to question our trust. Who who are we trusting in? So this this is a good... Uh, lesson for us. In verse 5, I say, I say, you speak of having plans and power for war, but they are mere words. This is Rabshakeh still speaking. Now, in whom do you trust that you would rebel against me? Look, are you, trust, you are trusting in the staff of this broken reed, Egypt, on which if a man leans, it will go into his hand and pierce it? So is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. The, the people of Judah had made an alliance with the nation of Egypt, sending money down to them to try to bolster their, their uh, soldiers and their army to come against the nation of Assyria. And, and the man is right. What he's saying is, why would you lean on Egypt? You can't trust in Egypt. And anytime we read about Egypt in the Bible, it's always a great picture of the world. Uh, so the advice for you and I, you can't trust in the world. Egypt was going to fall. So the world is going to fall too. So why would you place your trust in it? This world will end. We firmly believe that. That there is a day coming when he shall rule and reign. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. The world is going to fall. So why would you trust in that? It's actually good advice, what he's offering. Why would you trust in Egypt? Then he says in verse 7, But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord. Oh, now it gets interesting. 
that we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? This is an attempted attack. What Rabshaka is doing here is an attempted attack on Hezekiah to cause the people to have doubt in their king. Hezekiah had, in fact, torn down the high places, the Ashtoreth poles. He tore down the places of false worship in the land. He, he wanted to get the heart of the nation back toward God, and so he did the right thing by tearing these things down. Rabshakeh is actually causing, trying to cause the people to question what he's saying is, why trust a guy who tells you where to worship? You should be able to pick where you worship. But it wasn't Hezekiah who determined where to worship. It was God. That God picked Jerusalem. God picked the temple. The Assyrians wouldn't understand that as they were polytheists, meaning they worshiped multiple gods, and so they would have multiple places to worship. But God being one, wanted one place to worship at the time. Verse 8, Now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses. If you're able on your part to put riders on them, He's like, you even have 2,000 people that can ride? How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots, horsemen? The guy's like, dude, you're so pathetic that we could give you 2,000 horses. We'll help you try to beat us and you're still going down. <laughs> that's, that's, he's, 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 you know, kicking them while they're down. We'll help you to fight and you'll still lose. He's trying to create doubt. The, the, he's saying the, the national army, the Israeli army, couldn't even repel one of the captains. And we've got an army of 200,000 people outside. What are you going to do, Jerusalem? Sounds a lot like Satan. Casting doubt. Casting fear. He states his demands. Give us a tribute. Submit to me. Right? We saw that in in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, in the desert. Just, just submit to me, I'll give you everything you want. Just like we see here. He offers assistance. I'll, I'll help you out in any way I can. Just join me. Come to me. Creating doubt. Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's what you're supposed to do? Are you really sure? Uh, Rabshakeh sounds a lot like Satan right now. Verse 10. Have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. So now he's even taking it a step further. Now he's saying, this is God getting you. Why would you trust in him? This is, God sent me to, to, hammer, you, to hammer you guys, to take you down. Why, why would you put your trust that he's going to deliver you in this? this is, God's on my side here, is what he's saying. Isn't that just like the enemy? Always wants us to question our trust. Why are you trusting in him? So they received the message in verse 11. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to Rabshakeh, Please um, speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. So they had an audience, this, this garrison that went out to meet Rabshakeh. Everybody's peeking over the wall to listen. And, and, and they reply and say, hey, talk to us in your language. That way they don't know what we're talking about. Because I don't want... The, and what they're trying to do, Ashebna, Eliakim, and Joah, what they're trying to do here is to protect the people. They're already scared out of their minds anyway. Well, why do we want, let's not let them hear what's happening. Let's change the language. We're trying to shield the people, keep them from fearing even more. And in, in that, you hear the heart of their king, Hezekiah. Hezekiah wants to protect the people. Hezekiah wants to be the shield for them. That's, that's a beautiful picture. But, in verse 12, the Rabshakeh said, has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to the men who sit on the wall? And this is, this is a great line. Sorry. <laughs> who will eat and drink their own waste with you? <laughs> the, King, the King James Version, 
if you have the King James in front of you, it's pretty darn vulgar right there. <laughs> it's like, you can look it up later if you want to. He's like, why wouldn't I warn them? Do you realize what's coming? We're going to lay siege to your city so that nothing comes in, nothing goes out, and eventually you're going to run out of food, and we're just going to wait until you start eating your own waste and drinking your own pee, basically, is what he's saying. And then you'll probably surrender. What he's unaware of, or what Rob Shekha is actually unaware of, is there had been some work done in the days of Hezekiah, they started digging a tunnel. I think it was 1,777 meters underground in between the pool of Siloam, which was inside the city, and the spring of Gihon, which was outside the city. So they, they built an underground tunnel. One th they started at both ends, and they met in the middle uh, so that they would always have fresh water within the city. And, and Rabshakeh, um, uh, you know, um, Sennacherib didn't know about that. So they would always be sourced with at least good water coming into the city. That was one source that they didn't know about. The other source they didn't know about was God. <laughs> the other source that the Israelites had in this moment was God. Verse 13, Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. And you know what? That's true. Hezekiah will not be able to deliver them. Keep reading. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. That is not true. God will, God can, and God does deliver them from the Assyrian hand. In essence, the Rabshakeh is signing his death sentence. <laughs> He's like, I, 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 don't, don't let Hezekiah say that the Lord's going to deliver you. And in essence, he's, he's signing the, the, the permission slip for the electrocution, the electric chair. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make peace with me by a present, and come out to me. And every one of you eat from his own vine, and every one of you from his own fig tree. And every one of you drink the waters of his own cistern. He's like, just empty your wallet, pay me, and everything's good. You can live in your house, you can drink your water, you can, you can pull figs from your fig tree. Uh, you know what, it's all good. Just pay me. What does Jesus say about that? No one can serve two masters. Must will love one and hate the other. And that's what he's asking here. You submit to me now. It sounds good until you read verse 17. Un un uh, until, he says, until I come to take you away to a land, well, it's like your own. A land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. We're just, we're going to move you. I mean, once we take over, we have to displace you. That's kind of the rules of the Assyrians. That's the way it goes. But don't worry. The place we move you to, it's just like your house now. Same house, same fig tree, same water. You'll be fine. We need to resettle you. But it's going to be a good thing. That's a lie. <laughs> That's not the way Assyria rolled in that day. And we'll... We'll look at how Assyria actually rolled here in a little bit. Beware. I mean, they would relocate them. Just, you know, and maybe the land did have vineyards and things like that, but they weren't getting any of that. They were made for slavery at least. Verse 18. Beware, lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered its land into the hand or from the hand of the king of Assyria. So now, Rabshakeh makes a mistake. Well, he's already made a couple, but he makes a big one here. He's comparing the God of Israel, Jehovah God, the one true God, to all other little g false gods. That's a big mistake. Nobody, no other gods have delivered, is what he's saying. In, in the road that we've had coming to you, there's not been another God that's delivered. So what makes you think your God will? 
what he's saying here, what he's inviting them to here is, just take the easy way. Just submit to me, surrender to me, take the easy way out. You'll have a good life. Everything will be taken care of you. It's the reasonable thing to do to surrender and take the easy way out. Now hear this. That is often the message of the enemy. Just take the easy way out. It's, often, it's better for us to ask the question, what would require more faith in my life? What, what path of the choices I have in front of me would require me to trust God even more? Rather than looking for the easy way in our life, let me ask the question, how can I draw closer to God? whether that's easy or not. In fact, it won't be easier. Being intentional about heading in the direction that requires more faith, being intentional about heading in the way that would, call, that would want, force us to trust God more, always requires more effort. We want to kick back in our easy chair. We want food to come to us. We want the remote in our hands so we don't have to get up to change channels. Does anybody remember having to, you know, adjust the rabbit ears? Oh, we still have to do that in our house. We don't have cable, you know, but we look for the easy way in life. That's not always the best way. Let's ask the question, what would require more faith, more trust in God? He asks in verse 19, Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Sepharvaim. How's that? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? The point here, Samaria wasn't delivered, and they worship the same god. What makes you think you'll be delivered? Continuing to stir up fear. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. Look at this response. But they held their peace and answered him, not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Sometimes when the enemy is attacking, sometimes when fear is pressing in, when doubts are beginning to rise, when our trust is being questioned, Sometimes the best response is to do nothing. Just be quiet. Psalm 46.10 Be still and know that I am God. You want to see God move? You want to see God work? Just stop. Stop working. Stop pressing. You don't have to speak in this moment. Just let me do what he, let him do what he's going to do. Sometimes the best thing to do is be quiet. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, uh, Shibna the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told, the words, told him the words of Rabshakeh. So they get the report, they go back to the king, they're tore, they're, they tear their clothes, that's a sign of um, mourning, that's a sign of anguish, of suffering. They told him what Rabshakeh had to say. Chapter 37, and so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, signs of mourning, and went into the house of the Lord. Woohoo! Good answer, Hezekiah. Right, family feud? <laughs> good answer, good answer. No matter what the guy says, it's always a good answer. Even if, sorry, family feud thing, crazy. But this is a good answer. Hezekiah, you answered right. What did he do? He took the message and he went to church. He took his struggle, he took his anguish, he took his pain. How many times do how many times have our problems kept us from church? I just don't think I'm going to make it tonight. I just don't I don't you know what? I I was intending to go to church this weekend, but you know, this broke, the, something happened, this, and you know, I'm just not going to make it. I, I, I just, how many times have our problems kept us from church? The right idea 
is to, when our problems mount, when the things arise and come against us, no, we set those aside, we go to church. We need some eternal perspective here. We need to get our eyes on the Lord. We need to, to get the right kind of focus. It is, I was talking with somebody this morning, it is so critical in our lives that we look past the vapor of our lives that is 80 years or however many God gives us and recognize that there is an eternity that we are a part of. If you were to place our life, our 80 years, uh, you know, if I were to string a rope from that wall to that wall and call the rope eternity, our 80 years would look like a paper clip. And, and so the point being, we need the perspective of what's What's, what's life about after these 80 years? Help me to gain those, the right perspective. So let's look at Psalm 73. It's a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was experiencing some trouble in his life at his time. He was worried about and concerned and, and brokenhearted over um, the unrighteous succeeding in life. The, it seemed unfair to him that, um, that people had, that, that were not living for God were prospering. So Psalm 73, verse 1, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. And here's the issue. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more heart, uh, more than the heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. This sounds a lot like what Rabshakeh is doing. And their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, ah, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. Listen to what Asaph is saying. Why am, I, why am I pursuing righteousness if, if the wicked get all the good stuff? Why, why chase after God if everybody else is going to get blessed and I'm not? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. You ever feel like that? Why am I chasing after God? Because all I seem to be doing is hitting my head against the wall. You know, everybody else is taken care of. Everybody, other, everybody else's needs are met. And here I am struggling and suffering. That's the wrong perspective. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I'll speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I don't even want to think about it, he's saying. But look at the next verse. Until, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Until I went to church. Until I set my problems and my issues aside and I got my heart right with God. Until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then, I understood their end. Surely you set them, he's now speaking to God. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me in your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards... Receive me to glory. Whom I have I in heaven but you? And is there none upon the earth I desire beside you? My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. 
You have destroyed all those who desert you, desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. Asaph found proper perspective for his life by, by that verse 17. It was when I went to the house of the Lord. Hezekiah in our story in Isaiah chapter 37, same idea. He's like, he hears the report from Rabshakeh and says, man, what am I going to do? And he does the right thing. I'm going to go check with God. I'm going to go get the right perspective. I'm going to go put my eyes in the right place, put my heart in the right place. So back in Isaiah 37, verse 2. Then he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. The people were so afraid, and this is now Hezekiah going to Isaiah to talk about the people that he has been given charge to watch over. And the people were so afraid, the, the, the fear is so great, that the women didn't even want to give birth. What's the point, there, there is their, their thought? We're just going to eat the kid anyway when it comes to cannibalism, as a siege often would. We're, the baby's going to die anyway. We're all going to die anyway, so what's, why even bother with having this child? I'll just die in childbirth and take my baby with me. They were destitute. They were broken. Dreadfully afraid. Verse 4, It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God, and will rebuke the words which the Lord and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that has left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So the first step, Hezekiah goes to church. The second step he takes is a good second step. Seek out a mentor. Seek out somebody that can pour into your life. Seek out somebody that you can trust. Hezekiah goes to Isaiah. Dude, I need your prayers. I need you to walk with me in this. Do you see what's happening? Please pray on my behalf. Pray for me, the king. Find people that you can trust to pray with you. It's so important. It's so important that we pray together. You need wisdom? Find somebody you can pray with. Ask God. James chapter 1, verse 5. Ask, ask you know, that uh, if anybody needs wisdom, let him ask of God. I don't know about you, but the life I live right now, leading a church, being a father to four kids, I need a ton of wisdom. I think I pray every night for wisdom. Lord, please help me. How do I, how do I reach these guys? How do I reach these kids? What, what do I, how do we make an impact in our community? What, Lord, move over our hearts, move over our lives. I'm always praying for wisdom, always asking God who freely gives. And then the great next step is to ask godly men to pray with you, godly women to pray with you. James chapter 5, the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. You want God to move? Find somebody that knows how to pray. Ask them to pray with you, for you, alongside you. It's a quote from A.J. Gordon. You can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. One more time. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. The first step needs to be going to God. The first thing we need to do is offer our hearts up to Him in prayer. Verse 6, Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, which, with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. It's almost like Isaiah doesn't even, the guys knock on the door, and Isaiah's like, I know why you're here. <laughs> I've already got the answer. There's no indication that the guys even tell him what's going on. 
You know, they, they, they go to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, this is, what, this is the way, don't worry about what Rabshakeh has to say. This is what the Lord has to say. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to send him a rumor. He's going to hear something. He's going to go home, and he's going to end up dying there by the sword in his own land, which is exactly how it goes down. Prophecy is just history in advance. God's answer, I got this. You can trust me. I got this. And God never lets anything slip. Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that he had departed from Lachish. And the king heard concerning Tirhaka, the king of Ethiopia, he has come out to make war with you. So when he heard it, he sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So he gets word that Ethiopia supposedly wants to attack, and so he starts to bring his troops back together. He's mounting his army once again now to, to take on this battle of the king of Ethiopia. And what does he do? He sends a message to Hezekiah, basically saying, I'll be back. That was horrible. I was really hoping to pull that off a little better. I didn't practice it, though. <laughs> I'll be back. That's ah, still bad. Never mind. Maybe Bob can edit the Terminator in, in the tape right there. That'd be kind of cool. But that's what he's saying. Don't go anywhere. Don't think the Lord's going to deliver you. We're coming back to take care of you. Seriously now, this man is blaspheming, right? Do not let the God in whom you trust deceive you. The God in whom they trust deceives no one. He never is a deceiver. And to call him such is to blaspheme his name. He is truth and always is truth. Big mistake here. Verse 11, look. You've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed, Gozan and Haran and Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Hina and Iva? I'm a simple man. (laughs) What's Hezekiah supposed to do? Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter. Evidently, this was written to him. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Right on, Hezekiah. He went to church. Sorry, I'm excited about that. He went to church in the midst of his issues, in the midst of his troubles, in the midst of this mighty nation coming against them. And he takes the letter with him. (laughs) He lays it out before God. Hey God, Rabshakeh wrote you a letter. (laughs) You want to read it? I think he signed it. It's, you know, he's he's calling into question your authority and your power. God, what what are you going to do about this? This is your problem now. I'll just lay that right here and let you take care of that. That's what you're supposed to do. Lay all your concerns at his feet. Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. He went to church and then he prayed. Amen. Here's the prayer. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. He start with the attributes, praying to God. That's the greatest way to start. God, you're majestic, you're holy, there's none like you. You're otherworldly, you are, you are a creator of all things. You made heaven and earth. And notice he says, you are the one who dwells between the cherubim. Think about the mercy seat and, uh, in the temple. The, the, one, you know, the seat was in between the cherubim, and that's the place in the Holy of Holies where God dwelt on the mercy seat. He's begging for the mercy of God in the Holy of Holies. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Listen, I think you know this, but God's 
ear is always inclined. God's eyes are always open. Yet, Hezekiah says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. This didn't catch God off guard. Oh, Hezekiah, sorry, I didn't see the Assyrian army sneaking up on you like that. I missed it. No, God didn't miss it. God's ear is always inclined. God's eyes are always open. He says in 18, Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. He's like, you're an awesome God. You're alive. You're the one true God. All the other gods they've destroyed because they were the work of man's hands. By the way, if your God can burn in a fire, you're worshiping the wrong God. If you can burn your God in you know, the fire uh, that you keep yourself warm, you're, you know, God delivers us from the fire. Daniel. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. He's asking for deliverance, but not for his sake, not even for his people's sake. Therefore, God, save us from his hand that, and that is the key word, that is, that, that's the key word, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know. Do this that you might receive glory, God. I want to see you move that you may be honored and glorified. It's a lot like 1 Kings 8.60, verse I've heard of. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, <laughs> Hezekiah prays, God answers. That's how quick it is. Quick response in this matter. We, um, I know I'm going long, tough. Um, we, uh, at the end of April, we're going to Miami for the week to, um, I'm going down to do a wedding. Danny and Val, Danny, the guy in the wheelchair that he comes on Saturday nights most often, but I'm, we're traveling down and we want to spend a day taking our kids to Disney. And, um, so we're trying to get the resources together for that. And we've got a change jar at home and all kinds of stuff, but we're like, you know, we'll, we'll camp to save money. Um, rather than buying a hotel every night, we'll just camp along the way, and that'll save us some money so we don't have to worry about that. And then Michelle's doing the hair of the bride party, bridal party, and so she needs her hair stuff. And, and I'm considering how to get all this in our van for 17 hours while we drive to Miami. And I'm like, I don't think it's going to all fit. So I was like, maybe we should pray about God providing the money for a hotel. And then like four minutes later, no, no lie, four minutes later, I got a text from my old boss. Hey, can you come work this Saturday or this Thursday? Come help us unload the truck. I'm like, I think the Lord's answered our prayer. <laughs> if I work every Thursday between now and when we go, we'll have enough money for a hotel yeah, for the whole week. I'm like, we didn't even, God, you know, you, know, you we, I, I don't, we didn't even technically pray for it, but Lord, you hear us. It was awesome. That's the, that's the quick response that he gets here. Verse 21, Then Isaiah, the son of Ammon, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, this is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, has despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. <laughs> Whom have you reproached and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. You picked a fight with the wrong God. By your servant, uh, you have reproached the Lord and said, By the multitude of my chariots, I've come up to the height of the mountain, to the limits of Lebanon. I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees. I will enter its farthest heights to the fruitful forest. I have dug and drunk water with the soles of my feet. I have dried up all the brooks of defense. Sennacherib has an eye problem, right? Back in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 15, shall the axe boast itself against him who chops with it? Or shall the saw exalt itself against him who saws with it? As if a rod could wield itself against those who lift it up. Or as if a staff could lift up, as if it were not wood. This is the instrument saying, I got this. Did you not hear long ago how I made it from ancient times that I formed it 
Now I have brought it to pass. This is now God saying, I've brought it to pass that you should be for crushing fortified cities into heaps of ruins. Therefore their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were as the grass of the field and the green herb, as the grass on the housetops and grain blighted before it's grown. But I know your dwelling place, Sennacherib. You're going out and you're coming in and your rage against me. Because your rage against me and your tumult have come up to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. That was a personal dig on the Assyrians because that's how they carried their captives. They would put a huge hook through their nostril. Just come with me. I don't know about you. I had a huge hook on a rope you know, going through my nostril. I'm going wherever they want me to go. And that's what God is saying now to Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. I'm going to put a hook in your nose. I'm going to skin you alive as they would skin their captives alive. I'll put a bridle in your lips, treat you like a horse. So verse 30, God is now speaking to Hezekiah again. This shall be a sign to you. You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from the same. Also in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. And the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. The siege is going to be lifted. Jerusalem has nothing to worry about. Life is going to go on as before. The next three years you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be able to pick for your crops. I like that line. Uh, the Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. That's a good way to live. You and I, we should take root downward, plugging into God, pouring into God, pressing into Him and bear fruit upward for His glory. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, digging down, and He will lift you up, bearing fruit up. For out of, the, out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and those who escape from Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there. Interesting. Now come before it with a shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, says the Lord. No arrow would be shot. That sounded crazy as they looked over the wall, saw 185,000 soldiers. Many of them had to, have, had to be archers. Not one arrow is going to make it into the city. For I will defend this city, God says, to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. If God is defending... Think about a goal line stance in football, right? If God is defending, they ain't scoring. He preserves for his name, for the promise of Messiah, that's the, my servant David's sake, obviously keeping the lineage of David so that Jesus might come. Verse 36, Then the angel of the Lord went out. Just as easy as this. The angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000 men of war. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. Wow. What a scene. It almost sounds like there was, they were killed without even a sound. Because they woke up and found the corpses. Oh, oh, that was a good night, huh, honey? Uh, and everybody's dead, 185,000. So Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. The great king, as he called himself at the beginning of chapter 36, is now a dog with his tail between his legs running home to Nineveh. In verse 38, the last verse, it says, now it came to pass, and just so you know, in between verse 37 and 38, 20 years go by. 20 years later, he never went back to Jerusalem. He never tried to conquer again. He had conquered the known world. He was the strongest empire to date. Never went back to Jerusalem. 
Now as it came to pass, as he, Sennacherib, was worshiping in the house of Nishroch, his god, what kind of name is that, that his sons Adramelech and Sheriazer struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place, just as God predicted. This is a record of two men, two worshipers, two gods. One unto life, that is Hezekiah and his God, our God, Jehovah, and one unto death, that is Sennacherib and Nishrach, his God. Who do you worship? What I close with tonight. Where does your allegiance lie? Who is your God? Who sits on the throne of your heart? Because there is only one that leads unto life. And that is through His Son, Jesus. Jehovah, the one true God. May we worship Him and Him alone. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. By Your grace, God, we have been saved through faith, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. Lord, we have no merit, we have no right to come into Your presence. It is by Your love for us that we have been given and granted the mercy seat that we might enter into the Holy of Holies. Lord, I pray that when troubles mount, when trials arise, when difficulties loom, we would follow the example of Hezekiah and set aside our problems and get before you that we might gain an eternal perspective that we would spend time in prayer and that we would seek the counsel and the prayer of godly men and women and let them come alongside of us, Lord, that we wouldn't be too proud to ask for help. How foolish is that? God, that you would guide and direct our steps. Lord, we all, all need your wisdom. Grant us your grace and mercy as we go forward from this place. Watch over us and guide us through the rest of the week. We love you, Lord. I pray with our lives we would show it. In Jesus' name, amen.